Hey there, and welcome to the Alenia Church Podcast, your place to get all of Alenia Church's previous messages, messages designed to equip you on your journey with Christ. Well, today we have a special treat. We'll be hearing from Sean Gala. Sean and his wife Carly and their son Judah are dear friends of Jennifer and I. They were one of the first families to commit to helping us launch Alenia Church all the way back in 2020 and moved from Virginia to Tennessee to embark on this new adventure. Well, today, Sean kicks off our series, Family Matters, by addressing one of the most important commodities we have, time. Enjoy. I remember uh, when I grew up, I worked at a country club uh, just outside of Pittsburgh. And when you were working on the golf course at the country club, uh, you were always just told to call everyone Doc because... You didn't know what they did. You didn't know anybody's name. And so you just call everyone Doc. And I remember when I was 16, I thought that every single person I said Doc to was like an actual doctor. Um, And I remember that anytime I heard the word doctor, I assumed that person just did surgery all the time, Um, not understanding that you could get doctorates in other things. And so I told Jeremy he could perform surgery on me, but apparently he's still not qualified. Uh, and speaking of not qualified, I don't know if I'm qualified to, to start this series today. We're, we're talking family matters, and we're, ta- we're going to talk about families over the next few weeks. And family can be a tricky thing in a lot of ways. We all have one, whether or not we realize it. Um, some of us want to forget the family that we do have. Some of us want to just enshrine the family that we do have. Love it or hate it, family is a huge part of our lives. Family shapes you. Family loves you. Family oftentimes annoys you. Family supports you. For some of us, family abandons you. Maybe for you, family is everything. And maybe for you, maybe for some here, family was everything. Maybe for you, as you think about family, you think about the past year and maybe someone in your family that you've lost. Or maybe for you, when you think of family, you think of how lucky you've had it in this life, that you've had incredible parents, or maybe you had an incredible set of grandparents. Maybe for some of you, as you think about family, you think about the things and you you dream about what could be about the family that maybe is waiting for you a few, in a few years down the road. Here's what I do know, is that sooner or later, the truths we're gonna explore over the next few weeks, especially in my message, I know, because I know what I'm speaking on, that we're about to explore are applicable in all seasons. In seasons of marriage, without kids, praise the Lord, I remember those days so fondly. In seasons of singleness, of waiting for a spouse to to start your own family, in seasons of just having a kid and doing your best to figure it out, but more often than not, you're kind of just like this. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do my best to figure it out. I feel like that more often than not. I think Jeremy talked about his most used emoji the other day. I think uh, for us, between my wife and I, this is our constant emoji is, is this one. It's just, I mean, if there's not a, a better emoji to summarize being a parent, it would be that one. I don't know what to do anymore. Maybe for some of you, you're in that season where you've finally been able to kick your kids out of the house and uh, 
And so you're celebrating and enjoying that, but I think this will still be relevant to that. Or maybe you're in the season of just grandparenting where you can fill them up with sugar, send them back, and you're done. Or maybe for you, you're like, well, I don't I really identify with this at all. Well, we still have a church family, this togetherness that we experience. But here's one truth that we also acknowledge in dealing with family time and time again, and that you can look deep into scripture and see over and over and over again is this, is that sooner or later, conflict is going to come within the family. That conflict is inevitable. Let's just rewind a little bit in scripture before we get into our main text today. You can go back to Adam and Eve and you look at Adam. What did Adam do? Adam blamed Eve for his choices. What does Eve do? She turns around and blames an animal. Abraham, our founding forefather, what did he do for family? He offered up his wife twice out of his own selfish fears. Sarah mistreated her maidservant and husband's child. Lot decided to offer up his daughters to all of the townsmen to have their way with them. David, poor David, David had a father who didn't believe in him. He had brothers who made fun of him and belittled him. He had a wife who constantly put him down and mocked his worship. He had a son named Absalom who broke his heart. He had a father-in-law who tried to kill him. And you thought your family was messed up. You thought that your kids were crazy. Here's what we can understand as we dig into scripture and start to see that so much of what we experience in life has been fractured by what happens in the first few chapters in Genesis. Those moments when we're so frustrated that we just kind of want to send our kids off to anybody who would be willing to take them. Or maybe you feel that way with your spouse. And I, I trust me, I know my wife feels like this about me. I don't want to say more often than not, but a lot. And you have those moments where you're just like, Lord, help me. But I think so often it's easy for us to look at what's happening in families today and think, gosh, what is the world doing to my family? But ultimately what we need to acknowledge is this started way before what is happening in cultural shifts today. I think it's real easy for us to want to point fingers at why our kids are doing the things they're doing, why our spouses are doing the things that they're doing. It's, well, it's CNN. I mean, the more people watch CNN, it's what the Democrats are doing, right? Glad no one said anything. It's what the Republicans are doing. Can you believe, you know, Trump has just set this country on a different path? Can you believe what Disney has done? Oh my gosh, Disney is the absolute worst. Can you see what they have done to my kids? It's so easy for us to point fingers about what's happening. And oh my gosh, can you believe that my kid is doing this because of how the world is influencing them? No. Now, does the world have influence? Sure. But let's go all the way back. The scripture points in a different direction. You see this fracturing, this dividing, it happened far before CNN and Fox News became a thing that tried to divide the entire United States. It came before Disney decided they wanted to have an agenda. And does it even matter? No, because this fracturing and divide, it appears very early 
in Scripture. See, it it starts to come into view when God pronounced judgment against our first parents in Adam and Eve. When God made humanity, he gave us a command. He blessed us with the privilege of being his royal and priestly images. You see, God first ordained that we would do what? That we would be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Now, we have one kid who's five. When I think about subduing the earth with multiple children, it clearly had to have been before sin entered the world. Because I can barely handle one, let alone, let's just keep having kids until the end of time. But we're to prepare the earth for the fullness of God's glory and his eternal praise. God also established this system, this family unit as the main system by which this multi-generational mission would be carried out. That we are to fulfill and we are to subdue the earth. And how do you say we would do that? Through the family. You can see that in Genesis 19 through 24. This is why in, when, in most circumstances, when family works well, we move forward in the purpose for which God has created us. But oftentimes when families are broken, when they aren't all that they could be, our purpose is oftentimes severely hindered. Simply put, to, to kind of summarize and break this down, this right here is our collective story as believers that in the beginning, God created it, and it was good. Just be fruitful. I mean, just be fruitful and multiply. But sin enters and fractures it. Ultimately, God sends Christ who comes to redeem it. And then he calls the people of God to be used to help restore it. So as we think about families And I don't know your background, your situation. Here's what I do know, is that all of us are uniquely shaped by the families that we are brought up in. Whether it's people that, uh, grandparents that raised us, parents that raised us, maybe you were raised in a single home, maybe your parents were together forever. What I do know is that sin fractured families, Christ has redeemed those families through the work on the cross, and ultimately, he's gonna use us to restore it. This is what we're called to as believers. It's messy, it's life. If you and I are to believe what the Bible says about the origins of our family problems, our attitudes and actions should be different, I think, than the rest of the world. How does Christ want us, how does Christ want to use us to help redeem families in today's world. In the mess and the chaos of today's world, how does God want to use us? I think for a lot of us, we'd be more sympathetic, one with ourselves. We wouldn't be so hard on ourselves about what we're doing as parents. It's easy on those days when you just want to do whatever it is to send your kid away for 15 minutes, for an hour to think, gosh, I'm just failing as a parent. But you begin to understand that you can be a little bit more sympathetic with yourself. You also begin to be a little bit more sympathetic for the people around you. 
that we all get to play a part in what God wants to do in a family. So how do we get our families on track? I want to propose a framework over the next few moments of, of what we as believers are called to be a part of when it comes to families. And again, this is going to be relevant to you all in different ways. For some of you, you're right in the middle of being parents. For some of you, you're still looking for that significant other. But this will allow you to, to start to have a framework for what is it that I really want in this life as I begin to think about my family. For maybe you as a grandparent, you're going to start to think about, gosh, okay, I may be past that season with my child, but how can I still be involved in a lot of ways in what God wants to do in their life and helping them understand their purpose. So our main text is going to be found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4, carrying through verse 9. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strengths. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This portion of scripture is often re referred to as the Shema. And understanding this portion of scripture in Deuteronomy, you understand that back in these days, there was a lot to be passed down from generation to generation. They couldn't just simply, hey, let me roll out to the store, get a Bible, and here you go. Here's Deuteronomy right here. Here's the book. Here's everything I want you to know. But these things were carried out in different ways. There was an education that happened within the families that was passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation until we actually get written text. So how was it passed down? And this is where we get our model for what I want to focus on today. How do we make the most of the time that God has given us in the family unit? How do we make the most of the opportunities that God places in us? Maybe to, to be just an aunt or an uncle. Maybe for you, it's to be a mother or a father. Maybe for you, it's to be a grandfather or a grandmother. Maybe for you, you just get to have influence in the life of someone close to you. As I was trying to find the right words to, to build out this framework, I came across a book by Matt Chandler. He's a pastor in Texas, and I will be honest with you, I stole the four words uh, from his framework in regards to his book, Family Discipleship. I wanted to create cool words, but there's no purpose of reinventing the wheel when I was like, this is exactly what I'm trying to communicate. So the first part of this framework that we as believers get to play a part in how we can live this out is through modeling. Verse six says this, these commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. When I think about what was modeled for me in my life, 
Now, I grew up in Pittsburgh, PA, the greatest city on earth. And so in case you had any doubts, uh, it is the best. But Murfreesboro is a close second. <laughs> Growing up, um, I had a unique childhood. My parents got divorced two years before I was born. Now, when you do the math, you understand it takes nine months to have a child. So I was conceived of uh, after divorce. It took me a lot of years to do the math on that, but thankfully I got better, and that's why I work in finance now. <laughs> but my parents were divorced long before I was born, and for me, I grew up just in a broken home. It was broken from before conception, really. And I think about what I had to, to follow in my life, the model that was set before me. And I think about the good things, I think about my mom and just how hard she had to work to provide. My mom consistently throughout the course of my childhood had to work two jobs. And I think when I think about my nature, I'm naturally a doer. Like Jeremy will yell at me a thousand times over. Why are you doing that? Why do you keep doing this? It's just in my nature. Like, I am a doer. I'm just going to keep doing. And a large portion of that was formed in me as a young child because my mom would do anything she could to provide. And so she'd work two jobs over and over and over and over again just to put food on our table. That's the good side. And then I think about the other side of things. And I can tell you that what was modeled for me by my father was not what was modeled for me by my mother. You see, my dad couldn't hold a job. Anytime I would spend with him, we'd spend at the bar. Me and Pac-Man back in the day used to be like best friends because my dad would take me to the bar and somehow he had a key to the arcade machine and so he'd basically like put infinity credits on there and I'd just sit there for hours while my dad drank and drank and drank. And that's what I knew. That seemed normal to me. And then when you start to form these relationships of like, hey, I want to get married and you meet your wife and you start telling her these things and she's like, oh, that's not normal. I was like, it's not? That's crazy. <laughs> but when you think about what has shaped you and what has shaped your life, you start to understand the influence that you have from a very early age on the life of a young person. You see, the things that you do, the things that you say, carry so much influence. As a parent, do you serve as a godly example for your family? Is there truly a genuine walk with Jesus Christ? Is there a demonstration of a life of worship and repentance? Ephesians 6, 4, and this isn't on the screen. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. How many of you in this room today that maybe you are a parent? For those of us that maybe you've had kids or you still have kids in the house, how many of you have ever just lost your ever-loving mind on your child? How many of you in the moments following that just have an, a deep amount of regret for what you just did? 
A few months ago, I started meeting with a counselor, and I will get more into this, but I have, it's either a blessing or a curse, maybe both, but uh, the privilege to be married to a counselor. Um, and so constantly, <laughs> she is asking these deep probing questions, and I'm a guy, like she's like, how does that make you feel? I'm like, I, I don't know. Can you give me a thesaurus so that you can give me some words to work with at least? I don't know how to answer your questions. But as I, I, I think about that, um, she got me into counseling a, a few months ago and I remember one of the first things that I had to talk to my counselor about is there was just this pent up aggression towards my son and, and I, I couldn't identify why. Like I just, I would get so frustrated so quickly. And I found myself every moment it happened feeling like, gosh, you are the friggin' worst dad ever. And it's just this overwhelming sense of like, am I failing at what I'm doing? Like, I know that this is one of the most ultimate privileges I could have ever had was the opportunity to be a dad. And, and gosh, I just feel like I'm failing. There is good news. One of the biggest things I learned in going to counseling is that the, one of the best things you can do for your kid is to learn how to say sorry. Now granted, I tell Judah all the time, Judah's our son, he's five, you'll see pictures of him in a couple minutes. I tell him all the time, I'm like, Judah, go apologize. Last week, the kid was up to no good back in kids. Granted, like anyone that's in that, you know, nursery to five-year-old class, they're always up to no good. But last week I could tell when we were leaving, I was like, Judah, did you listen to Miss Lindy today? It's like, <laughs> I saw him in the mirror and I said, well, bud, one of the things we're going to work on is we're going to work on saying you're sorry. And it was perfect how God lined it up. We had to stop at Walmart and literally we walk in the door and the first person we see is Miss Lindy. I said, oh God, this is, this is good. <laughs> so we walk in and there's a balance between shaming your, your kid and shaming the people in your life versus helping them understand the importance of learning how to say, we're sorry. And so I've learned through counseling, like, hey, when I screw up, when I overreact or react to something that didn't really require a reaction like the way I reacted, I've got to be quick to say I'm sorry because I want to model for him what I want him to do when he has the opportunity. And so when we saw Miss Lindy, it was very quick. I was like, all right, Judah, time up. It's, it's time to go, ready to go. And he walked up to Miss Lindy and he said, Miss Lind Miss Lindy, and he's he's real shy sometimes. And he said, I'm sorry. And she said, For what? And I don't even think he knew why he was saying sorry, to be honest. <laughs> he is five, so the important thing is just for him to see that it's okay to say you're sorry. It's okay to realize that you've messed up and to not be condemned in that. I think there's a mighty fine balance. 
in, in trying to, to juggle the emotions, especially for us. A lot of this is coming from our lens of trying to learn how to manage the emotions of a five-year-old. But simply put, you admit when you fall short and when you get it wrong. You learn to apologize. Next up, verse 7, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Next one is time. How do we make the most of our time? It's our most precious commodity. It dictates every single thing in our lives. We can't have enough of it, but yet we can't get any more of it. Four years ago, uh, almost to the day uh, in a couple weeks, uh, I was diagnosed with lymphoma. And there's this ongoing joke. I always pull out my cancer card and I was like, hey, had cancer. And, um, when I first got diagnosed, you know, it kind of just catches you off guard. You don't have much time to think about anything. You, you really just jump into treatment and you go because it's what the doctors tell you to do and you do what the doctors tell you to do. At that time, our son was one year, he was just over one. And I remember as you start to experience all of the anti-joy that comes with dealing with a disease like this, you immediately just start to realize and, and calculate your time as best as you can. For me, I'm very much a control person. I'm a type A. I like to have everything in order. I like spreadsheets. I like um, to know what's happening next. And um, this threw my whole life into disarray. It just jacked everything up, the plans that I had. And I started to realize just how truly limited our time is. I think I have a picture. Uh, Aiden, if you want to put that up. I remember uh, this was after one of my first rounds of treatment, and you're kind of, you may look at this picture like, one, why is he not wearing a shirt? Um, <laughs> I just never wore shirts. It's like a, it's like a thing. Um, two, you're like, okay, yeah, he's bald there. He's bald now. What the heck? Um, the reality is I, I, I did actually used to have hair, and then thanks a lot, cancer. Uh, and then you're like, oh, he's wearing a mask. Yeah, what is this, COVID? Um, but no, this was after one of my first rounds of chemo. I think this was round two or round three. And Judah was sick. And with my weakened immune system, it was hard to be around him. Poor Carly was a trooper. Every time I got out of treatment, she had to take care of a sick kid and a sick husband. But I remember in moments like this, where you just, you realize that I could be sick as a dog. That time is so precious. But then you get six, eight months down the road, you get a couple years down the road and you forget and your life just gets dictated by how busy you are again. You allow your schedule to rule your life. And don't get me wrong. We've got our son involved in too much. He, he, not as much this year. Last year it was t-ball and this and that. And then we got church stuff every night of the week. And, and maybe for you, you're like, well, I got to run my kid to soccer. I got to take him to this school thing. And it just feels like there's never enough time. 
And so as I think about time as an opportunity to work on growing our families and reclaiming our families, here's what I understand is that we're never going to add more time to our schedules. I don't want to ask you to add things to your schedule like, hey, we're going to set aside this time. We're going to do every Wednesday night is our time to read the Bible as a family. Because I will promise you, your kids are probably going to hate it and hate you for it. Here's what I do know. It says, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. You see, there's opportunities for you every single night before we go to bed. Judah's favorite thing now. Hey, can we read the Bible? Hey, uh, dad, you forgot to pray for your meal. I'm like, gosh, kid, why are you calling me out all the time? But there's these opportunities in the natural rhythm of our own life, of everything that's happening now, that you can create opportunities to make these things happen. So before you eat a meal, you pray. Before you go to to bed every night, we pray as a family. We read, not every night, we do our best. I don't want you to think I'm a perfect parent because Judah will certainly tell you I am not. But utilize family meals, utilize your daily commute when you're in the car. And maybe you're not at the point where your kid is old enough to talk to you about these things. Use your bedtime routines. Use opportunities like this when your kid's in worship to to worship with them, to allow them to see you what it means to worship together. Time. Use the time that God has given you even those little bits that God gives you in your schedule, maximize the time that you have. Moving on, verse eight, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. In many ways, moments are the opposite of time. Time is this formal designated thing, but moments are often informal and spontaneous. Moments as a discipleship tactic include looking for opportunities in the routine of daily life to teach or model spiritual truth. One of the the great books, and I'm not going to get too much into this, but there's a book called The Power of Moment by Chip and Dan Heath. And I'd strongly, highly encourage you to get that book because it talks about the importance of moments in our life. I think about a series of moments in my own life. Uh, If you want to start clicking through uh, those pictures up next, uh, let's see. Next picture. There we go. This right here is a bonfire, as you can tell. Jeremy immediately starts to laugh because for him, this takes him back to a conversation that happened around a bonfire. For me, it takes me back to a conversation that I had around a bonfire. You see, the pastor we served under in Virginia was very intentional about creating a moment to experience something that was very much needed for a group of people at the church we were at in Virginia. And it was this moment around a campfire that marked a lot of us. It shaped us because it's the intentional opportunity to create a moment. I believe there's another photo. This right here, Carly and I look super depressed. Um, it's, I know, it's not the greatest picture. This is us sitting under a tree in the Garden of Gethsemane in Israel. We had just about a week and a half before this found out that Carly was pregnant. And I remember sitting under this tree just weeping. It was like one of those ugly, uncontrollable cries 
that you're like, I don't even know how to stop at this point. Like, I don't know what's happening in me. I don't know why I keep, (laughs) you know, that kind of cry like a toddler does. That's how I was crying. And there was just something that happened in that moment. We didn't even say any words. We just decided in that moment we were going to pray for the son or that we didn't even know it was a son at that point, the baby that was in her belly. And as we did that, it was just like, watch the waterworks. But it was, it was a moment that marked us. There's another moment. Right as I, I so after cancer treatment, went into remission, uh, got sick again. And while I was awaiting treatment, decided to go on a missions trip to India. I don't know what in the world I was thinking. I don't know why my doctors ever gave me permission because I got there. It was like I couldn't breathe because the smog was so bad. I remember I was in such bad shape at that point. My lymphocytes were going crazy in my body. And so I was itchy all the time and had to walk around with a back scratcher. And so the people in India are probably like, what is this guy doing? Like he's crazy. But I remember there was a group of pastors in India. I don't know what they were saying. They were like, we've got to pray for this man. So for half an hour, these pastors set aside time to just lay hands on me because they knew that something wasn't right with me. I was coughing constantly. And so they just prayed and prayed and prayed. And it was a moment that marked me. Parents and grandparents You can utilize these moments, moments like these, to teach your children about who God is and what God has called them to do. You see, the great value of moments is that its teaching is linked to a concrete experience that helps embed truth into the life of your child. One of my favorite things to do is find those moments that make us feel so small. It's moments when you can just stare into the stars and, and help your, un, your, your kid understand just how truly small we are in the grand scheme of God's creation. Yesterday, Judah and I went fishing and he was, it was his idea, which was the best thing ever. Like we're getting to that sweet spot where he's like, dad, let's go fishing. I was like, yes, son, let's go do that. And we're walking and we saw a snake and we saw crawdads and it was a, just a simple moment and I could have missed it. I could have been like, get that snake the, away from me. <laughs> but I had an opportunity, and I just simply said, you know, Judah, isn't, in, isn't God's creation incredible? That he created all of these weird, unique creatures. And it's just a moment like that, that God gives you time and time again. If you just keep your eyes open, and your ears open, and there's going to be opportunity for you to point your child to the gospel, to God's wondrous creation. Lastly, verse 9, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This form of discipleship, family discipleship, includes identifying and memorializing significant events in the life of the child or as a family. The recognition of these events includes monuments and memorials. Monuments utilize physical objects to create a special event in the life of a person, of a child, of a family. 
In between my two cancer diagnoses, I, I was blessed with the opportunity to go to cancer camp, and it's not actually called cancer camp, but that's what I call it because it's just easier to describe it that way. I got to go to the West Coast to um, the Rogue River in Oregon, and while I was there, it's basically an opportunity for group therapy for young adult cancer survivors. And you get to the end of the week, and one of the last things we, we did was we got together in groups, and then they kind of just had you pair up with someone. And they gave us this little teeny piece of string, and we tied it around our wrists, and I've got a picture of it, and it's an embarrassing picture because I'm wearing a cape um, that's bejeweled. <laughs> but you're at cancer camp, so it doesn't really matter what you do. This is me and my friend Wishes. Uh, we all had nicknames. Mine was Tusk. Um, and we took the time to tie this band around each other's wrist. And for me, it wasn't much. It was a little piece of string. I mean, you could have used it to tie a turkey leg for all I know. But what it represented to me was a moment in my life where I realized that, gosh, I overcame a lot in this last season of life. And it's okay to realize that I may have been dealing with a lot, but this is my truth in this, is that God is always faithful. And this was my opportunity to turn the page on this chapter of my life that that cancer didn't have to define me. And so I, I wore this bracelet for years and years and until I got sick again and some stupid doctor cut it off. And I was like, I woke up and he's like, oh, I accidentally cut that off. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, I had it on there. It was grungy. He thankfully saved it. And I, fra I framed it in a picture with the group of young adult cancer patients I was there with because it was something that marked me so deeply. And that little wristband, it didn't seem like much. It was just a dirty piece of string, but it meant the world to me. I got one more picture. There's Judah. This was us walking through our house in Virginia. I'm like Jeremy, I, I don't show a lot of emotion ever, not that he's that way, but then, <laughs> but then I get on stage and it's just like, what is happening? Again, this was the, the privilege of being married to a counselor. She understands the importance of doing things like this. As we, we sold our house, this was our last day. So we took our time and, and walked through each room of the house. And just shared our favorite memory. It was nothing complex, nothing out of this world. 
It was just simply an opportunity to memorialize the faithfulness of God in our lives. There's opportunities that God gives us all of the time to do things like this for others. It may be a child, but it may not be. It may be a close friend, someone you hold dearly. Last week, I have the privilege of, uh, I don't know what to do with this. (laughs) Sometimes eavesdropping on my wife's uh, young lady's small group. No, I'm not calling any of you. They, They all just got real nervous. But I overheard them, and the activity that they worked on was just simply writing a note of encouragement to each member, and they would just pass the page down, and so they all left with a note of encouragement from someone else on that team. It's creating these milestone moments that truly mark you, that truly mark God's effect on you. So create milestones. So, I know I've got to hurry. We've got modeling, time, moments, and milestones. Going back briefly, it's so easy for us as parents to hinge everything on us that as I got sick, I wrote down a whole list of things that I wanted to see in my lifetime that I wanted to see Judah give his life to Christ, that ultimately I would love to be the one to baptize Judah. But I'm also reminded of this in Paul's letter to Corinthians. And this is in reference to the church, but I think it's applicable for children as well, for our role as parents. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. My encouragement to you is this. Do your best to be the kind of spouse or parent or child God wants you to be. But never take your eyes off the one who is actually causing these things to happen. That ultimately you can strive and strive and strive to be the best parent in the world. But guess what? It's not going to matter in the end because ultimately it's God's faithfulness in our lives that's going to make those things grow. So ultimately give God the thanks he deserves and pray for his continuing mercy because I'm just being honest with you, your, your life and your family may seem perfect right now, but because sin has fractured us, there's gonna be those moments where things get a lot harder. Maybe for you, it feels like the whole world has crashed on your family, but I promise you and I encourage you to stay faithful. Don't give up on the hope of redemption because it is God's responsibility, not ours. 
He's called us to be co-heirs and, and we do all we can to help point our kids to Christ. But ultimately, it's the faithfulness of Christ that saves our kids, not us striving to be the perfect parent. If you would stand with me this morning, I want to read this scripture over you. It's in Psalm 145. It says this. I didn't actually just invite you to, to bow your heads. Just try and eliminate the distractions in your life right now in this moment. Just listen to these words out of Psalm 145, starting in verse 1. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Lord, help us to understand this morning. As chaotic and messy as families can be, Lord, you've designed them for a purpose. Ultimately, the purpose of family and everything else in this world is to bring glory to you and to your name. Lord, as we do our best to play our part in helping point our families to you, Lord, I pray that you would use us as servants of you. For those that are discouraged in where their family may currently be, May they be encouraged by your faithfulness in our lives time and time again. Lord, we thank you for your work on the cross, the opportunity to truly know you. We thank you that you've redeemed even the most destroyed things in this life. We thank, thank you for your faithfulness. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in today. If you would like more information about Alenia Church, you can go to aleniachurch.org forward slash connect. There you can enter in your information. You can ask about more information about the church, and you can even let us know if you've prayed to receive Christ. We would love to put a free gift in your hand to equip you on this new journey. If you would like to partner with this ministry, you can do so by going to aleniachurch.org forward slash give. There you can make an easy tax-deductible gift to further the reach of the gospel through Alenia Church. Would you also pray about becoming a monthly partner through your financial giving? Our site makes it easy to set up a recurring schedule. Our prayer is that we are able to begin video recording these messages in the 2022 year and your giving will help make that possible. Please take a moment to share this message, subscribe, like, and comment wherever you get your regular diet of podcasts. It helps us by getting the word out about what God is doing here in Middle Tennessee. 
If you live in the Middle Tennessee area and you don't yet have a church home, we would love to host you at Alenia Church, meeting at Oakland Middle School, 453 Desjardins Drive, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. We hope to see you there. Remember, God sees you, He loves you, and He wants the best for you. God bless.